there is so much, um, so much to these themes that we're going to uh, get into, and, and I hope you guys are enjoying this series. We're going to get back into Thessalonians uh, because, as we know, that Paul, what Paul is teaching the Thessalonians, he also teaches the Corinthians, he also teaches the Galatians, and so as you get these themes, these patterns of of how God works among his people through Paul, you're being invited to be a disciple of Paul as well. And uh, today the theme is about grace-based faith and, and we're gonna go into certain things too. So uh, buckle your seat belts and pay attention because there's a lot of interesting things here for us. Have you ever been duped? Have you ever been duped? I went to Mexico, I was 24 years old, young and cocky, and figured I'd figure these guys out on the street. I met this magician on the street who had these three cups and that little ball, and I thought, as I watched him very carefully, I thought, yeah, I know what he's doing. He says, you wanna make a wager? I said, yeah, I'll bet 20 bucks on that ball, I can figure this out. And uh, it's in that cup. Nope, had to pay 20 bucks. I thought, no, have you ever done that? No, none of you guys have ever done that, right? You've never fallen, no, 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 no. There are other ways you're duped. But anyway, the idea is that there's a magic trick. There's not just three balls, there are four balls. And they're hiding one ball, and so they play with it with a sleight of hands. And so I, kn- I didn't know that. Well, if you don't know what you don't know, that means you're going to do things based on information that's not... Uh, helpful. You ever been so angry that you've done things so badly that you just kind of thought, that's it, no more. Now, I know some of you have never had that on the golf course. You say, never again, and so this guy threw his whole clubs into the lake. Never had that temptation, have you? No, not yet. But you've said, but you've said things where you've done so poorly, you said, never again. That's it, no more. Have you ever felt like, you're just stupid? I just don't get it. And then certain classes you do well in, certain classes you don't do well in for those who don't like statistics, for those who don't like writing, but you say, I forget that. I, have you ever had that feeling like I can't learn it? I tell you, one of the things that I did not anticipate learning uh, was a compassion for those who are illiterate. When I went to Japan, there was a major lesson, a life lesson for me, is I learned what it was to be stupid. I could not figure out for the life of me at the beginning if I was ever going to learn kanji. And this is the language of the Chinese, kan, kanji. The, the, the letters are not Romanized alphabet. There are 2,400 kanji that you have to learn to get out of high school. And therefore, for, for you to learn, uh, you have to learn it a specific way. There's an order to write these kanji. One is each, it left to right, each knee left to right, two strokes. This is hito, one left, two, there's a way you write it. There are some kanjis that have 16 marks on it and you have to do all 16 in order. If not, the teacher doesn't pass you on that. And so here you have uh, the kanji that the kids are going to do. Watashi wa ashitagaku ni ga arimasu. 
I've got school tomorrow. And all those kanji that you think about, I thought I'd never get this. I just thought I'd never, and then you come to this point of saying, can I, can I get it? And then the second question is, do I want to? And those two things are brought together when you go into things. But if you want to learn another culture, if you want to learn people, if you want to connect with people, it's always on other person's terms. Because you have to listen, listen, learn, learn, for you're entering into another world that you don't know. Well, have you ever been so tired, so stuck, that you just stopped growing, stopped learning, and you've lost interest? Like, I don't care about those birds anymore. That dog ain't going to hunt. And therefore, you find people who've got abilities, but they're not going to use them anymore because something happens in us that makes us wind down, whatever. Well, we're in this, we're in this series thinking about developing your faith. And I'm interested, I'm 68 years old, and I... I'm alive and I'm growing and I feel like God is doing some things inside me, learning. I'm just, I can't stop learning. And you guys know, I just, I want to get to be 69. It's for me, the, the Christian life is really, really exciting. But I've been going, I've gone through things and learned some things that maybe you haven't. But, but I want you to hear what Paul says is that, that Paul is committed to help people grow in Christ. And I am too because of Paul and what Jesus did through him and what has happened in my life, I want you guys to get a, a feel like God is alive, God is good. There are some things that people don't understand and people are stuck. People have stopped, but not me. I don't want to be like that. I want to grow. And so these are the, the seven stages that I've got for the, the development of your faith. And it's going to continue on. There's a couple more coming up. We'll get back to Thessalonians. But you move from this ineffective to ineffective faith, just faith in faith, faith in a higher power that's your own conjecture, your own speculation, but it's just based on your human understanding. Then you get to this point of initial salvation where you do become introduced born again where you start the relationship with Christ and if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior nothing else makes sense because this is the spiritual man though it's born as at a young age there's something that this young believer needs to grow in because it's a great thing to have faith but it's not a great thing to have baby faith when you're 50 years older so there's something that Jesus wants to do through the Holy Spirit to apply the gospel so that we just not have a, a jeopardy answer uh, or the right uh, pat answer. We want to have a living relationship with God. Therefore, you move from infantile faith to increasing faith, and now we're at this point of integrated faith. And there's a shift that takes place at this point. If you are a disciple of Christ, if you're at the feet of Christ, you're listening to the Holy Spirit and God is doing a personal work inside you where you learn things personally. And what God is teaching you is not teaching anybody else because his eye is on you. Psalm 32 
uh, 8, David said, uh, I will, the Lord said to David, I will counsel you and guide you with my eye upon you. Now, understanding that God's eye is upon you, understanding that God wants to teach you certain things, means that there are certain things as a young Christian you learn. Uh, David will go on to say in, in Psalm 51, a very famous passage, something that we learn easily, quickly, because it's the initial thing for a believer. It's about forgiveness. And so he says in Psalm 51, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. So the idea of of someone who comes to faith, who's hearing the Lord given the assurance of forgiveness, that yes, there's no condemnation in my son. He has taken away all those things. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing release to say there's no one going to point the finger at you. No one's going to say, you did me wrong. You did me wrong. And you didn't take care of it. The freedom of forgiveness is no point finger from God is holding you guilty because that guilt was dealt with on the cross. And therefore, we run to the Christ. We run boldly knowing that the Lord has forgiven us and being introducing us to this idea of grace. Well, you grow and you increase in that and, and you get certain stories in the New Testament where Christians are stuck. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, mature, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are now not able to receive it. Some people can't receive solid food because they're babies. And therefore, 1 Corinthians 3 says, you, even now, you're not able. Even now, there's a point, a stage where people don't get nourishment, the solid meat, because they can't handle it. And the reason why Paul says there is, for you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, you're walking like mere men. You're not paying attention to the Lord. You're just doing what you've always done. Well, to increase that faith and you move into integrated faith means that you have something that takes place as you grow in Christ. Peter said it this way, like newborn babes, what touches you, what you focus on are your desires. And something happens when people have their faith aligned with Christ your heart enlarges, something grows inside, and what you desire, you, you begin to in, enjoy new things. For me, I, 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 six months after I became a Christian, I, I can't explain this to you, but I had a hunger to read the Bible. And I read it every, every day, every night, but I was just hungry because that desire to know God was real for me. And I thought, I'm going to know who this Christ is. And so those desires become new, but desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow in respect to salvation. Now notice that last part. It says, if you have tasted. Not everybody tastes grace. 
They may know about it. It's a, an intellectual thing, an abstract thing, but they haven't personally tasted grace. Well, this is where I'm going to get to. Uh, there's a guy named Ashwin Ram from MIT. I learned this from my computer science uh, studies in Japan when we were working on this. This is machine learning, how artificial intelligence works. But this is a book from uh, uh, Goal-Driven Learning, Teaching How Machines Have to Think. Well, the idea that the research from MIT has established is that that there's something very, very important, two things that really shape and motivate you. And I want to share these with you and apply them to the Christian life. One is that the learner's goals and the prior knowledge, get these two things, your goals and your prior knowledge drive the learning process. What your goals are and what you've experienced before come together in terms of helping you learn or not learn, as it may be. Well, how many of you play chess? We went down to the chess museum this week with Charlie and Cassie, and that was a great time. But have you ever lost a queen? Have you played chess? If you've lost a queen at the beginning of the game, you say, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I don't want to lose my queen because that's a power. But you have to figure out how to learn to negotiate without your queen. Because the goal is to protect the king. If your goal is to win the game, then you have a need to know how not to lose your queen. So the idea is that your goal makes the information valuable. If you don't have that goal, if you don't have a goal, whatever information you have is not important. If you don't care about chess, me teaching you how to avoid losing your queen won't mean much to you. The goal that you have determines the value of the information. If no goal, not valuable. So that's one of the things about learning. People who get C's and D's in high school get into college and get straight A's. Now go figure, how does that happen? They have a goal. In high school, no goal. I'll get through this. But once you have a goal that focuses you, and that's what we talked about before, is that there's a consequential knowledge. There are things that you really need to know that you better know because there are consequences. How to drive your car on the right side of the, or without, if, within the speed limit. Well, the Chesterland police are very good at that speed limit, aren't they? I'm safe so far. We talked about this in terms of consequential knowledge. I want to talk about consequential faith, that what you believe really has the same kind of impact as any educational endeavor that you get into because you're going to grab things from school. You're going to grab things from faith. But I want to add one more thing to this. There's consequential grace. If you've ever met people who are really gracious and wise and mature, Boy, there's something about these people that really attract me. They influence me. They pull me. There's something about being mature in Christ, learning about Christ that keeps you settled, at peace, not worrying. But if you don't have that knowledge, you'll be, you have faith like a weeping willow in a 90-mile-an-hour wind. You'll be worried about so many things. But your development of your faith depends upon the goal that you have. 
that will drive your learning. Well, what makes the difference? I'm going to suggest that there are some Christians, there are some Christians who have never tasted the kindness of God. There are some Christians who have never learned how to nourish their faith and enjoy that goodness of God. There are some Christians who have bought into misconceptions and they've been duped, the three cup, the different representations that they have of God. There are some people who don't understand the influence of those pagan religions and yet you come into this relationship as a Christian, some bring in this baggage and they substitute their prior knowledge of how they learn to be accepted. And therefore, some people have a works-based righteousness that I am accepted if I do this. And the idea that your acceptance and your experience of love will only be if you conform and obey and get in line. You get out of line, no grace. There are also some that have never taken an inside look. And that inside look is where the Holy Spirit is going to work at. Uh, And these are the two things I want to bring up. These two reasons why people don't know grace or don't have a grace-based faith is one, they have a wrong goal. And two, they have a wrong approach. Let me tell you two stories. Um, the first one is not a story, it's an illustration. It's, you have this, these, this group of people called the Pharisees. These, or you call them, the number of groups are following this, but there's a system, a rule, that you've got to keep the rules. And the Pharisees in particular were religious. You would vote for them into office. They were moral, they were religious, they were right. They're doing the right behaviors on the outside. But they were very much... Uh, involved in Bible study, but that was the wrong goal. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that if you do the spiritual discipline by searching the scriptures, you're gonna get into heaven. You'll get eternal life. The goal of the Bible is not to get you into heaven. What? The goal of the Bible is to get you into heaven to know Jesus Christ, who is in heaven, who brings you into heaven for that relationship. The goal, the goal is to know him face to face. But the Jews wouldn't want to do that. He says, you are unwilling to come to me. These bear witness of me so that you would know who I am. But you don't want to know who I am. You just want to do this thing. So Jesus said to the Pharisees, you have the wrong goals. This is a story I was getting to. The rich young ruler, you know, goes to Jesus. This is is the story in Mark 10 where the rich young ruler, young, well-dressed, Jesus was leaving town and he said, this is my last chance to get to Jesus. And so he runs up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And falling on the ground, Jesus looks at this young man, when he's young, 25, 30, put your date in there, and he's got a lot of money, a young buck, He's got an entrepreneur. He's either inherited it from his dad or it's old money from grandpa or whatever. But he's got money. What happens with young people get money? Lots of things with that. But this guy says, what do I do to inherit? So he's thinking about, I'm going to get something. I've got to receive it. So I, 
what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns to him, and you know the story. He says, well, you don't want to murder anybody. You don't want to steal. You want to honor your mom and dad. You, and so he goes through this list of commandments, and the guy says, I've done all those things. What was his goal? What was his goal? So Jesus looked at him, and he says, um, Teacher, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and he said, uh, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Interesting that Mark picks that up. How does love look at somebody who doesn't love the person looking at him in love? Here is grace being given to a man who doesn't love the Lord. Notice that Jesus did not say to the rich young ruler what he usually says to the Pharisees, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't do that. And he didn't go to the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. But he looked at this man and he tried to help him learn by exposing what was on the inside. And so the rich young ruler says, well, I've done all these things. I'm, 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 pretty, I'm set pretty well. I've got my business going, and I've been in church, and I'm doing these things. And Jesus says, you're really duped. You're missing the point. Didn't say it that way. But he said, you know, go sell everything and give to the poor. There's one thing you lack, he said. There's one thing you miss. What was he missing? This young man did not know how to love. This man did not know how to receive love. He knew how to receive money. He knew how to receive responsibility to work. But this man was on the inside, cold and dead, because he said, my goal is not to love people. My goal is to love me and get myself set. Because I don't want, Jesus, if you want me to sell everything? Well, he says, yeah, if you do, don't worry, God will take care of that. He'll re- he'll, he will reward you. But get involved with the poor. Get involved with giving. Get involved with loving. And come and follow me. Well, that wasn't going to happen. What was his goal? This rich young ruler, religious, wealthy, self-centered, was stuck right there. And he wouldn't know anything more than that. You lack this. The rich young ruler had wrong goals. He had the wrong approach. He did not know the love of God, and he didn't want to grow in grace. Contrast him with Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew did want to grow in love. He did want to grow in grace. He did want to be compassionate. Matthew is so one of my favorite guys in the New Testament that I named my second son after him. Matthew talks more about the compassion of Christ than any of the other disciples. Because he knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be on the outside. He knows what grace is. And when that grace touched Matthew, Matthew was never to be the same again. One thing he learned was the grace. Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. You're worried about the wrong things, Martha. But Mary chose the good part. There's one thing that's necessary. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. You see... The focus of our faith is to understand the grace that's coming to us through this one named Jesus. 
And if you don't know the grace of Christ vertically, you won't share it horizontally. This faith and this one, where everybody who listened to him were amazed that he loved in ways. Uh, Bartimaeus, the blind man, Zacchaeus, everywhere he went, he gave grace, he gave grace, he gave grace, he accepted. Gentile Jew, he, he loved everyone because he, well, he's the Lord. And notice he never did say at one time, thus saith the Lord, like Jeremiah or Isaiah did. He didn't quote it. He was God himself. And this one came so that we would grow in grace. Peter said, grow in the grace and the knowledge of this one, our Lord and Savior. To him be the glory both now and forever. This idea that Jesus is going to give you grace. If you lack grace, if your goal is to know grace, he wants to teach you who he is. And so that you're grounded in grace and that your faith is in this gracious Lord who's looking right at you. Now that's one of the main themes of the Genesis story of Adam and Eve. When sin hits... When people damage you, and when you are hurt and are offended, and when you are disappointed because people don't come through, how do you respond? In love? In kindness? In grace? This was the lesson for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a really good. They thought they had a, they had a wonderful paradise. They knew the Lord. They knew responsibility. They knew everything that was going on except one thing they did not know and could not know was how was God going to handle this sin when they rebelled against him. They didn't know how God would respond because they never had sinned before. But I want you to know this, that God's blood did not boil. He didn't become furious or angry or saying, that's it, no more, out of here. Not the angry God, but the same grace that God used to create the soul of Adam and the same grace that he used to create the heart of Eve, that same grace came right to them behind the bush because God is gracious when we fall. Are you? Are you? slow to anger, quick to forgive, quick to give grace? Well, no. <laughs> That's why we have to grow in grace. It doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally if you have a nourished faith, you're listening to the Lord, and you're dealing with the goals of saying, I want to be like Christ. I want to learn how to be gracious like him. The last thing as we get into this is most people think that change comes from the outside in. That's the wrong approach. American Christianity wants to get the outside all set. The Holy Spirit wants to get the inside set. And therefore, if you're a Christian, you need to know that where the Lord is at work most is in the heart. Well, in the heart. So, so it's on the inside and that when the Holy Spirit steps into you, you need to be prepared to go to school. And that learning, if that's the goal, to sit with Christ, to deal with what's lacking in my life. 
as Larry Crabb would say, change from the inside out involves a steadfast gaze upon our Lord that's life-changing. And if you know that the Lord, when he looks at you, will look at you with grace, will look at you with kindness, will understand all the things that you're afraid of, will understand your worries, will understand your, your addictions, will understand your temptations, will understand your weaknesses, will understand your lack of desire. Would you be willing to be willing? He understands that. Because it reflects a deep turning from a commitment to ourselves to turn over to him. Without repentance, a look at Christ only provides the illusion of comfort. And we don't grow. He also went on to say that we can't realize life. When when we realize that life can't give us what we want, we can better give up our foolish demand that it do so and get on with a noble task of loving as we should. The inside out changes. As Peter would say, as newborn babes, if you've tasted the good, uh, the, the milk of the word, the sincere milk of the word, that passage is preceded by one thing that people don't understand. That in order to have these desires for the milk of the word, you have to get rid of desires that are not the milk of the word of grace. And therefore, 2.1 says, if you're going to grow on the inside, rid yourself of all malice, desire to hurt people, all deceit, desire to present yourself, misrepresent yourself, and slander that you put others down or you misrepresent and destroy their reputation. You see, the point is you put off before you put on. You put off old desires of the flesh. And that takes place by the grace of God. If you grow in grace, then you can put off those things. If you're not growing in grace, you'll drag those around with you. But this list that Peter has for this group of people may not be your list. So I'm going to ask you, if the Lord came to you and say, Ruth, there's one thing you lack, what would he say? David, there's one thing you lack. Kim, there's one thing you lack. What would be your list that he wants you to put off? What things that you would struggle with or be obstacles to grow in grace, what would be your list that you need to put off? And then you need to say, Lord, I can't put them off without you. Help me get rid of my anxiety. Help me get rid of my demanding spirit, my nagging spirit, whatever it is, whatever your list is, so you make it first Susan one two one. Put your list on there. Make your own list and say, Lord, here I am. Change in me. Now, if you know what we've been singing about, the amazing grace, he would die for you, then you understand that he'll do anything for you. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not with him, along with him, graciously give us all these things. Forgiveness, acceptance, mercy, understanding, kindness. Don't be duped. Don't be deceived by a substitute gospel that wants to give you the outside comfort without the inside change. The Lord knows you, loves you, wants to meet those things and help you grow in grace. And as we do so, 
you have that consequence of a, of a weighty goal that I want to know Christ above all things and I want to grow in the grace of Christ so that he changes me from the inside out. That's your inheritance, Christian. Beloved, are you growing? Are you tasting that grace? Be like Mary. Be like Matthew. Don't be like the rich young ruler. But he wants to speak with you, to share with you who he is in all of his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we are saved by grace. We know that we grow by grace. We know that by grace we can address those things on the inside because you have come in to kindly undo that which is our undoing. As the resurrected Lord, Father, thank you for interceding for us. And now as the Holy Spirit wants to help us grow, that we would walk by faith, stand in that grace. Lord, we just look to you now because we know that in you we have life. Apart from you, we're stuck. So Lord, again, give us that amazing grace we sing about so often and make it reality for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.